Today's chat is brought to you by the support of all our Twitch subscribers. Through the patronage you provide the Focus Fire chat team through the Twitch platform, we are able to provide you with the weekly podcast as well as the website and other aspects of Focus Fire chat. If you have any interest in becoming a subscriber of the FFC and gaining access to some exclusive features over in the Discord server, please be sure to visit our Twitch account and click on the subscribe button. If you're an Amazon Prime member, remember that you do have a free subscription to Twitch every month that can be used for this. And for those of you who are already subscribers, thank you again for your generosity. You may have heard the whispers of guardians gathering in the shadows, exploring the mysteries of this world and the worlds which surround us. We are all in search of truth. Sometimes, we need to focus that search, focus that fire. And so we come together. Join us. Join the discussion. Welcome to Focused Fire Chat. Welcome back for episode 154 of Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on January 11th over on twitch.tv slash Chat. As always, I want to give a big shout out to our live chat here with us tonight. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Our topic for tonight's episode is going to be a look at the Black Armory Papers. But first, let's run through a quick introduction of those on the show for tonight. As always, this is your host, Blue Crew 86 Next up, we have our own master of social media, the one and only Green-Eyed Music Lover. Green, I hope you're doing well. How has the week treated you so far? You know, it's been a kind of a roller coaster, but I was working on my solo Shattered Throne run today, got all the way to the ogres and didn't die, and then ogres because the ogre is stupid um but i got wave splitter and i've been wanting that gun for a while so i think i think it's been good at that point because you know wave splitter is a little bit dirty right now as far as like (laughs) pvp i may have challenged somebody to a 1v1 who normally uses a wave splitter because she's a dirty dirty cheater who uses wave splitter and now i have it too and now we're going to be even and she's scared (laughs) but anyway it's been all right (laughs) so rounding out the usual team we have our good buddy the lore content cop himself beard grizzly beard how are you doing i'm doing all right uh it's been definitely a, a week i'll put it that way it's been a weird week but that's uh it's about where i'm at yep Nice. That's always that's always short and sweet. Good. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, I don't have any speeches this week. <clears throat> I don't know how to best respond to that, so I'm just going to go on and say for this episode, Green was kind enough to ask the community uh, a little bit of a possibly contentious question. Green, did you what? How did I the, mean, how did the responses come in? Actually, a lot of really good feedback. Like, I was fully expecting a lot of salt and was prepared to ignore Twitter for a little while if it got too crazy. But no, we got a lot of really good feedback. And my question was to the community on Twitter who follow uh, FFC or me or who saw it with the Destiny hashtag. um, What are your thoughts on the Black Armory content thus far? And I 
put underneath that general lore slash story weapons mechanics feedback welcome. And we had a lot of a new people who I've never seen respond to anything, give a lot of really good feedback. And a lot of our like regulars have some really interesting feedback too. Um, a lot of people, the fun, the thing that people were most con- like back and forth on was the grind. Like some people really love the, the mechanics of getting the weapons put together. So when you're building up your, um, what are they called right off the top of my head? I can't think of it. And I have one in my inventory right now. Uh, the frames when you're putting together the frames, um, some people really, really hate going through the grind of getting it. And some people really love that. And it's been interesting to see the back and forth on that story wise. There are a few people who are really excited about it. I think the thing they were most, um, upset about the story had nothing to do with the actual story itself. They were uh, not happy about the drop rate of the pages, which I can totally understand Mm -hmm. because I've seen a lot of people comment about that. Yeah. And I, I get that. I get that a lot. Like the drop rate for the armory pages compared to like the drop rate of most loyal or, um, even the Awoken ones when you're in the Dreaming City, which granted, that was a terrible drop rate too. But I don't know. That way, that way, story was a little disjointed by Sagicite. I don't feel there was a clear arc other than Forge Weapon and Open Forges. Um, we're going to get into that when we're actually discussing the pages in here specifically, because there's a reason why the story is a bit disjoint. That being said, the whole thing, quest opening forges, farming forges, the visual audio spectacle, the whole package is something I've enjoyed. I do miss a bit more of the story-focused kind of DLC, but I definitely can't complain when Black Armory has kept me quite busy. And that is something I've seen pretty much up and down the board. Everyone's just like, I have so much to do. Like, I can't, I can't complete anything throughout the week like i can't finish everything because there's just so much to do um siva tech even went as well to say he thinks it's well worth the 12 dollars price tag he's been having a blast and can't understand why people have been upset about the expansion and then there are people who've been like okay the whole puzzle thing because this actually went out the day after everybody was trying to figure out the puzzle to get into the last forge. People were still a little mad about it. I understand it. I also understand that I love puzzles and that my personal opinion, just going to lay it out there. I don't think it's a bad thing to have something difficult enough where it takes more than 24 hours to finish like the initial run. That's my personal opinion, but I understand like people's feelings on, especially with checkpoints involved and everything like that. Please don't send me salt mail. I don't need it. But anyway, that I thought was a pretty decent response from a lot of different people. If you want to go read the thread, um, bungee people or just people in general to see what a lot of the community is saying, it's actually pretty informative to get a really good sample size of what a lot of people are saying about different things. And there's a huge variety, which is nice. I liked this week. It was a little different, but it was good. 
Perfect. Do you, uh, and I know we always love hearing everyone's feedback, uh, do you have a question for next week or are we going to wing it and see what we come up with? Well, I mean, considering next week topic, next week's topic is about bias, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, okay, how about this? This will be a pretty easy question for most people to answer, including myself. What are you most biased in in Destiny? Are you biased about how you feel about the Queen? How you feel about Zavala? Are you biased in that you think Exos are gross? Or like, what is your bias? You can do something as simple as what I was just saying, or you can go into, I have a bias that um, the Drifter is X person or whatnot. And I'm going to figure out a way to make that fit. So next week's question is what are you biased about in destiny and what have you caught yourself being biased about in destiny, I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah. So, and, and to kind of clarify there too, is like when we say, when you say bias, what's your, what's your bias, uh, for anyone who might be unclear on what that I would say, what are you most opinionated about? Mm-hmm. That's a what good do you, way to what put do you, it. What do you, uh, or even more simply, what do you feel the strongest about? I don't. I don't think we want. I mean, like, I don't know. I. I I'm. I'll be honest. I. I would love to hear your opinions. You know, as well. That's always something definitely that I like hearing too. But I. I. I think that's the other thing is like because sometimes you know that's kind of the danger of bias, right? Is that sometimes you don't know that you don't know that you're biased about something. And that's kind of the challenge with doing any research. And we're definitely going to get into that next week um, is coming to terms with your bias. But for those who might not be, uh, might not think about it in that terminology, you know, what do you, what do you, what are you really passionate about? Or what do you really have a strong opinion about, within the story of destiny i think is a is another way to maybe phrase that um so we're gonna i know everyone is looking forward to diving into the discussion so we're going to run through our standard intro notes and then we'll get right into it in our last episode of focus fire chat we discussed the great hunt if you ever miss an episode and would like to catch up please be sure to check out focusfirechat.com for archives articles and links to the other aspects of focus fire chat If you don't mind, please rate and, if you can, review the show on iTunes, Podbean, or whichever podcasting app you use to enjoy podcasts. Reviews are extremely helpful as they not only let us know what we can do better, but help us stay up on the charts, which help others find our amazing community. To those of you who have already taken the time to leave us a review, thank you. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny and other games. This chat begins every Tuesday morning and runs until the following Tuesday, with topics decided by the group via a poll that begins every Friday and ends on the Tuesday morning of the new chat. Every Friday, at around 10pm Central, we get together to stream a high-level summary of the previous week's chat for those who were unable to participate. If you're a fan of lore in all its various forms, be sure to also check out thelorenetwork.com where you can find a wide variety of some amazing content that covers a number of different titles and mediums. Our next chat is going to be a discussion on biases. However, as always, please be sure to let us know if there is an additional topic that you would like us to add to the poll so that we can put that on there. Links to those polls can be found on either Twitter at Focus Fire Chat or within our Discord server. 
Before we jump into the information and thoughts that the community had about the Black Armory papers, however, let's have a quick chat about this week's Lost Lore. This week's Lost Lore, um, what we're going to, or what I was thinking about doing <clears throat> is kind of talking about, you know, kind of kind of following up with the question actually is uh, kind of talking about something that kind of leads, will lead into next week's discussion as well. And that is going to be the bias that is presented in the Black Armory Papers. Um, I know I personally really, really enjoy it. Uh, I think that it's really nice seeing a... Uh, not only is it a first-person account of something that we don't have any accounts of, which is the collapse, but it's also um, I think it's it, I think it's a, a good way of presenting in-world view of something that is very controversial, uh, and that is kind of the nature of the morality of the light bearers and the nature of the traveler itself. We kind of had played around. Uh, or kind of talked about this a little bit before we started the recording, but I I think that it's interesting that Henriette and you know the Black Armory group as a whole kind of take this this view of the Traveler uh, as something that is not necessarily it's not necessarily evil. They don't they don't view it that way, uh, but they view it as something that should be cautiously accepted, not necessarily just accepted with open arms because it is an alien force right it is it is something that is in all in all intents and purposes the full definition of alien no one understands anything about the traveler or moonex or whatever you want to refer to it as and they kind of have this this approach of we don't know what this is why is everyone like putting all their faith into it uh which is definitely part of the uh, the very first entry to the black armory papers and it kind of lays out, you know, the Black Armory was established as a way of kind of giving humanity the way to defend themselves without having to rely on the Traveler, uh, which is very similar to like the, uh, if you guys, if anyone remembers from Destiny 1, the Devil and Forge from Rasputin's kind of perspective. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a similar degree of paranoia, uh, maybe not so cynical uh, because Rasputin was kind of, you know, paranoid, I think would be the gentlest way of saying that. But uh, but like they definitely kind of were like that medium point between the the 100 percent like accepting the traveler with open arms. But and then, you know, there's there's that on one side and then Rasputin's kind of paranoid, you know, not really xenophobic, but like the paranoia of Rasputin and and like getting ready to attack the traveler if he needs to and all that uh the black armory was kind of a degree in between those two right it was it was more of protecting humanity protecting their families protecting themselves and understanding that you know the the presence of the traveler did if nothing else confirm one thing and that is there are sentient life out there there is you know there is something out there in the void of space that is not human is not us and 
you know, that that is a presentation that Henriette is very, very adamant about, especially in the beginnings of the Black Armory paper. We see that reference kind of repeatedly is that, you know, there is not everything is maybe going to be as beneficial as or benevolent, if you will, as the traveler. You know, there there's going to be possibly something out there that is just as alien, just as unknown and not friendly. And so in that case, how do we prepare for that? And that's kind of where the Black Armory comes from. Now, that's also where the, the I, I wouldn't call it bittersweet, but the, the, uh, the sad aspect of the Black Armory papers kind of comes in. Because mm-hmm. even, though, even though they do everything in their power to, to really um, prepare the 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 truth of the matter the truth of the the situation is that we can't prepare for our our collapse um you know it it was it was something that happened that was we got hit with something that they weren't expecting you know and i i think that's been explained um number of times since destiny one's initial i mean like the initial video from destiny one they kind of said you know something hit us and it knocked us off the pedestal that we had been on in the golden age and you get that from the black armory pages uh the kind of to kind of transition into try to transition into it so so the 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 lost lore really is like i wanted to kind of point out that this is a a new perspective of the destiny universe that until now we have hypothesized about Uh, i know a lot of players outside who break you know breaking fourth wall here a little bit uh, a lot of players have from day one asked the question of like what is what why are we assuming that the traveler is the good guy you know what what is the the reference there i mean way back to when destiny initially dropped there were theories about like why we're called warlocks and you know and you know the Uh, titans and the hunters and then the high for instance you know has the more noble names of knights and wizards and uh you know acolytes and all that and and there's there's a lot of different uh people who have made these different arguments uh it's a very common trope uh in a lot of stories where you think you're on the good side and then oh hey suddenly you're not and so this is a conversation that has been has been running ever since destiny really initially hit the hit the floor running and so, but now we have, now we have something that's like formally being recognized as a, as another point of view that's more aligned with that. Because in the Black Armory papers, we also see the darker side, like firsthand, we see the darker side of what these people who were risen with these special powers, what they actually were capable of when they were not, um, leashed, I guess would be the rest, right term for it. Uh, the, there was no vanguard. Uh, there was no organized, were, organized. Yeah, and left left out to their own devices. Really, you know, this is yeah. this is even before the warlords. These these are these are the people who led to the warlords. So these were the unrefined individuals who were just newly risen. You know, and it kind of goes to show you that I I, I have a long standing theory about this. Uh, but it's it's kind of the nature versus nurture debate too from a psychological point this is kind of what happens if you don't have an established society and you get woken up and you have no memory of what's going on and you have immense powers 
this is a very common trope in a lot of uh, comic books uh, where that deal with superhero superpowers. Uh, if there's not a, a guiding force, uh, there's a natural tendency to use power to get what you want and not have um, you you don't you don't come pre-programmed with a conscience necessarily is a large it's a large argument within the psychological community too about where where the sense of what is right and what is wrong comes from is that a social norm or is that you know something innately within us when we're when we're born um and you kind of see that with these newly risen you see that they have no guiding they have no mentors you know that's kind of the point of the vanguard mentors is to guide and to establish that sense of we are guardians we defend the city we defend the light we don't abuse it uh these individuals didn't have that guiding force and so they kind of just took what they wanted and if anyone challenged them they had the ability to to put them down and that's kind of reinforced here that's where we see another another presentation of this um but yeah, so so that all being said, um, I want to kind of move into the 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 actual Black Armory papers, and I actually really like. There's a recently there's an item that we have just recently gotten access to that I really like the flavor text on. Excuse me, and that is the mysterious data pad. Um, and the data pad is presented in game. Uh, it's it's basically. Uh, you you have to do a lot of crazy stuff. You get it, but the the flavor text goes that the, it's a data pad with the following text: Our fates are written on the fine parchment of time, a never ending cyclone of conflict and character. We struggle to find times of stillness in the shrine of peace, and watch for the new dawn, the next new dawn, signaling tomorrow. Our eyes drawn to the sky, looking for the brightest constellation that we will shape the coming days with our own hands. And the Black Armory will endure forever. And so <clears throat> that's, I, I just, I really like that as kind of an introductory quote um, for what, what the Black Armory is, the Black Armory as an organization. And so the Black Armory papers are really a, you know, kind of as we kind of mentioned in the Lost Lore segment, it presents a first person view of late Golden Age and the and during the collapse, as well as uh, a bit of a limited insight on the early days of the Dark Ages from a single point of view, really. Uh, and and the, the cool thing about this is that it offers a unique point of view about the newly risen light bearers from a human's point of view, which is something that we don't have a lot of. It's, this is a mortal human. This is not a guardian. This is not a you know, an exo or an awoken or anything like that. This is actually a human who remembers what, what, it, what it was like in the golden age. And so this is their recounting of like what's going on, what they lost. And that point of view is colored by the intimate knowledge of what had been lost in that collapse. And so this is a really, really intriguing perspective because this is a perspective from which, you know, from a guardian's perspective, we don't remember that. We don't remember what happened before our resurrection as guardians. Um, an exo you know, if they've been wiped with the Deep Stone Crypt routine or anything like that, they don't they don't necessarily remember that either. An Awoken, you know, we kind of discuss, discussed that in, in great detail. The Awoken don't necessarily remember before they were created as Awoken. And so we, we don't really have this. There's this kind of a, uh, 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 a black space, a black time or uh, censored piece on our timeline 
that we have not had really a lot of presentation in a in a coherent manner yet. And so the Black Armory papers actually do a bit of uh, a bit of work clarification. of clarification. Yeah, of clarifying that censorship. They kind of declassify, if you will, a couple of those censored pieces of elements or those those elements. Um, and right now, currently. Currently in game, we have, I believe it's 25 entries or 18 entries, 18 Uh, entries, 18 entries, which consist of, uh, what was that? Um, about 30 pages, I think is the count, the total number. Yeah, if you if you actually if you actually that. count like the, so when I say pages I don't mean entry so there's a, there's a bit of a disconnect on this particular lore booklet um, most entries are actually multiple pages there are some entries especially the earlier entries I believe it's the first five entries which consist of single page from the journal um, but most of the later pages are at minimum two pages and they're they're like shorter. Uh, it's it's basically it's it's a journal it's that's what it is it's a recounting of you know the day-to-day events um and There's, so th- uh, 37 logs just 37 okay perfect there. perfect thank arguably you arguably two with the uh the lore entries from izanagi's burden Jotun, mm-hmm. and uh le monarch uh there are possibilities that we may uh be able to add those three entries into these papers as well in a way uh, they're at least very good side reference. So just to kind of throw that out there as well. Perfect. And I know that kind of leads into one of the comments that I had made and Green, you and I were kind of chatting about this too. Um, so we have 37 entries. Thank you, Beard. Mm-hmm. Um, if you consider that, let, let's be, let's just be conservative and say that this is, this is a representative of the pages within the book. So the last number that we have is 171. Uh, if you include the final entry, which is a letter basically from Henriette to Ada, uh, that would, let's say it's 172 pages. Uh, that means that of the pages that we have seen in game, we have only seen 20% of what is included in these papers. 80% mm-hmm. of the information that is available from this journal is not accessible to us as players or as, you know, analysts from outside the game. That is not to say that they're not being read in game by Ada. It's just these are the pages that we have been tasked with retrieving. And that represents only a fifth of the information that is stored within the Black Army papers. And there's a lot of information. So I just wanted to kind of give, you know, a, a, a degree of or a sense of, you know, what exactly the amount of information that it could potentially be re- involved here. Um, but Green, do you, do you have, I know you had done a, you did a really good job laying out the, the actual topic entries. Do you want to kind of start, start us off with entry 10? Sure. So we start the black armory pages at entry 10, um, missing one through nine. Obviously, she's had the journal for a little bit, but the timetable of this is this happens before the Traveler makes it to Earth. Um, This is essentially, I wouldn't say it was necessarily like right after the Traveler was announced, but the Traveler had been terraforming, the, the people know about it on Earth, 
And the very first one is essentially Henriette. It's her introduction as a mother. And the she talks about how the Traveler and how people have become complacent with the fact that the Traveler is there. Because the Traveler's been there probably for a little while out in the solar system, terraforming different things. Um, she thinks it's a huge fault. And she she also doesn't fault people for wanting to believe in something. That is something she makes very clear. She tells a story about how when she was younger, her mother used to tell her ghost stories and she wanted to see one essentially. And so she went down in the basement while it was dark and she wasn't down there very long because she ended up breaking a limb essentially while she, she tripped down the stairs and broke a limb on the way down. But she wanted to believe in it to be, because what if it is real? What if this big, beautiful universe we barely know is much stranger and more complicated than any of us realize? I think that line in particular kind of sums up a just destiny in general, but the curiosity of people wanting to believe in something that is other, unique, alien, and the hopeful goodness with of that thing. But Henriette is, she's kind of chided by her mother and for the whole thing and says to believe in what you can see type thing, which is a little bit jaded because everybody likes to believe in something. Well, not everybody, oh, a lot of empiricism. people. A lot of people like to believe in things that aren't actually there or aren't proven or anything like that. But that is entry 10 in kind of a nutshell without reading it. Um, we get a tone, a nice tone from Henriette in the entry on how she cares for her daughter and how she wants her daughter to be. And then we get to entry 25, which kind of takes that same stance, the report of something else out there besides the traveler. So this is the beginning of the collapse in some ways, if we want to mark the beginning of it, because there is the sighting of something out there that isn't the traveler. And it's the first moment in the journal itself that she decides that she's going to do something to help prepare because what is it? We don't know. We don't know what it is. It could be another traveler. It could be a wonky radio wave. It could be something really bad. And so Henriette decides that, hey, I know some people who would who'd probably be good for this project. Let's figure out some way to protect ourselves. And this is something that was done covertly for the most part. It's something that the powers that be would never sanction. So she decides in entry 25 to start up the Black Armory. It's not called that yet. This is before the Black Armory actually exists. Which brings us to number 37 which is the introduction of Yuki and Helga. They are just basically starting out. They're, they've got a few designs that took a while to make because she really, because apparently Henriette is the designer of a lot of the designs, specifically of the weapons. She wanted to get them right, make them distinct to reflect who we are. Mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, friends, lovers. And this is kind of the introduction to they're actually building it. They're making it. They're making it happy. 
or they're making it happy. They're making it happen. And she is excited for what may come of that. Within this card, is there anything in this card that I'm missing? Uh, oh, Helga's formerly from Clovis Bray. That's something important. She is the business person in it. She is the one who takes care of all of the finances and the production of pushing everything out. And Yuki, Yuki is the engineer, handles the science and the mechanics of it all. And Henriette is the idea girl. Beard, do you, you want to jump in with that? Uh, I just wanted to point out that this is where my brain broke. <laughs> and I saw Clovis Bray uh-huh. shortened it to CB and then thought Black Armory and then shortened it to BA uh-huh. and said, oh, the Black Armory came before Clovis Bray, except it really didn't. No, nope. But the the irony is not lost on me that like there's there's something of like a parallel system that's going on there in a way. Uh, showing almost like one side of development versus another, reliance on light, reliance on one, or on humanity. It's just a, I don't know, unless obviously I'm reading too far into it, which that never happens. Uh, but I just I just found it very hilarious that like that lines up the way that it does. CBBA, ABC. Look. I didn't know that we were going to start talking Captain Kirk passcodes for self-destruct on the Enterprise here today, but fine. <laughs> What's the password? Only an idiot would label the password be one, two, three. Uh-huh. Oh, man. Okay, so... One, two, three, four, five. That's amazing. I've got the same combination on my luggage. <laughs> on my luggage. It's not zero, 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 zero. Oh my goodness. Uh, So it takes us to entry number 41. And up until now, they have been working primarily on what looks like the weapon designs in entry 37. Entry 41 is the first forge is up and running. And there is a line in here that I really, really like where it says, uh, power without control leads to chaos. So this is, there it is. Okay, so we're growing too fast, too fast. So they're, they've gotten into mass production. The Forge obviously kind of helps with that as well. And which in turns means less control over your work, over our work, how it's distributed, who it's distributed to, etc. It means more weapons to defend ourselves, yes, but not every single, not in every single person's hands. This was not my vision. Power without control leads to chaos. It's a give and take. So it's finding the fine balance between um, giving weapons to people to prepare, but at the same time, not giving everybody weapons, because we'll see later on in the papers that humanity is really good at doing one thing, and it's fighting each other. And you see that coming up in the next couple of cards. Which, and guys, if there's anything... Oh, oh, really quick. Um, The... Black Armory may be the cause of the weapon printers, which is the 3D printers that we that has been bugging me since Destiny 1 uh, that Banshee has right there. Um, the portable weapon printers all around the world 
I'm like, do you think I, they were reverse engineered to be created again from old black armory tech? Well, well no, he's she's saying that old black. Yeah, no, sorry, go for it, beard. Oh, maybe not even from like old black armory tech, but the the simple fact that, uh, as we'll kind of find out a little, or actually, as we already know, that Exodus Black was loaded up with two uh, forges to forges. begin with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do we know that Clovis Bray didn't take that equipment and mm-hmm. do something with it, uh, along with their engineers that they have, and shrunk it down into something else? If I have to bring up Dido one more time, I was just I, about to, to I was about to type that. I was like, "You mean Dido reverse engineers someone else's equipment? What?" Yeah, no, I'm gonna say that would never be something that they do. Here's uh, something that's interesting just... too. What if the Awoken had it on Exodus Green? I I said that like last week, I think too. Yeah, that was my like initial thought. If yeah. they're building most of their stuff, uh, most of their U tech from black armory uh forges that would be like incredible in a lot of ways it would also make a ton of sense with how they're able to actually uh put them together build them and so on but that would also mean that like we're reliant on black armory equipment from Mm -hmm. the golden age and the golden age uh weaponry that we have is almost entirely thanks to the origination of Black Armory. It also comes back to the Kavastov and how that was a piece of junk originally, mm-hmm. and how we had to go ahead and get that put together different. Uh, it, it, it comes down to the philosophy of how we were not prepared for the collapse except for a few uh, chosen few. And that mm-hmm. really does come back to the way that Black Armory's uh, overall forge systems work out. It's why I, I find this expansion in a nutshell just absolutely uh more interesting than something like house of wolves for instance instance i know take that back beard uh but i i find that the relations for everything that could be back to the collapse or otherwise for black armory and then into how we utilize it today in destiny as well to be so important just so important and if we had people from Black Armory that still existed, which we have Ada now at this point, if she's either been given back the ability to utilize the Obsidian Accelerator or whatnot, I am going down a really far tangent here. I am sorry. It's okay. Uh, but now that we like kind of have some other understanding on uh, other other uh, weapons that come from the different species that we've gone against, how can we also alter those to match out with something that's given to us, or how uh, how we can also use uh, yeah, how, how we can turn that equipment into something completely different uh, but that's, that's basically where my, my head's at in terms of like how these forges are so important uh, and their their utilization within the collapse and the way that they were. Uh, originally, of course, we ended up thinking that most weapons were, and and I still think that they there is a certain sect, obviously, with like Clovis Bray or Ishtar or anything that created equipment. But Black Armory's overall utilization with these forges, and again coming back to the weapon printers, which started this whole thing. Uh, that's what I think is so important to, to kind of realize about 
how we have our uh, equipment uh, produced for us as guardians, uh, but mm-hmm. also additionally as civilians, because we've always wondered how that kind of handles. We see with uh, the Eva entries, the most recent one, uh, where she goes to fire the shotgun and it just the kickback on it pretty much breaks her arm. Like mm-hmm. she's not used to it. She doesn't, she's not good at handling it, etc. Now, granted, if you're not holding the shotgun, right. Yeah. You're going <laughs> to probably break your arm anyway, but there is a clear difference in power. to like what a guardian may utilize and what a civilian may utilize as well. Uh, and I think that's why the, the black armory is as important as it is to call out. Uh, again, looking back to like being able to create this equipment that is utilized for a chosen few or for a select few that the Black Armory can say is worthy of, of holding it. Uh, anyway, re- really far off here, but it's okay. carrying on. Weapon gonna... printers just did that to me. It's okay. I got a segue out of that because we're going to talk okay. about the Clovis Bray uh, cooperation with Black Armory next in card 50 mm-hmm. because um, entry 50 is where uh, Helga gets a piece of Henriette's mind. Uh, Henriette is not happy <laughs> because uh, she, Helga came with, to her with another opportunity. And remember, Helga is the business person out of the trio. And she wanted to work with Clovis Bray as far as like utilizing some of the same technology that Clovis Bray has and incorporating it into the Black Armory tech. A very specific technology from Clovis Bray. To be specific, yes, the exoscience. Which vex science? What the Black Armory had already gotten vex science. That's how they made the. Wait, never mind. Nope, nope, nope. Let's not. Um, Not till later. Not till later. Let's get through the basic story, and then we'll go down that tangent because I want to go there too. But (laughs) beard, note this. Green wants to Uh go. (laughs) I want to go down a tangent. Yep, we'll oh, go there. God. It'll I feel be like good. the hole's just going to get dug deeper. Uh huh. It's like I'm not our be able to climb out of it. It's like our Osiris um, Doctor Shim oh, story oh. again. Um, yeah, you're not. Uh, anyway. Anyway, so Henriette does not like exos. Just flat out, she doesn't. She doesn't like the idea of them. She doesn't think they're human. They don't have a soul, which ironically is an very interesting perspective that we haven't seen so much like i haven't heard any sort of like super hate on exos in the game until this entry and it's because she's it's unfamiliar essentially mm-hmm. it's very similar to the seraph armor that is mm-hmm. one of my favorite armor sets from destiny one but that armor was specifically about guardians not about exos right that being said, that moves us to our first um, lore lore card, our lore entry in the in our uh, triumphs that actually has a double entry on it. This is entry sixty seven and sixty eight. Now, granted, um, the... real quick, Green. I'm sorry. Yeah, go for it. Uh, I I just thought of this as well, but going back to what I was talking about earlier, where we can fit uh, some of the other weapons into how uh how these conversations could go uh you could between uh between in these entries you could actually input the Jotun uh grimoire entry then as well or lore entry uh that's actually going over a lot of the uh actual equipment stuff that they're talking about 
uh, as well as technology that's there, too. Uh, I have not had a chance to read over Anarchy, Izanagi's Burden, Jotun, or Lanark's uh, lore entries, like, whatsoever. Uh, but just, like, briefly glancing over them here, I just noticed that Jotun actually talks about that um, mm -hmm. conversation with the Exo and how that would work out or what really set her off, etc. So, pretty cool. Yes. And we'll see throughout how utterly against Exo Henriette yeah. is. Like, Henriette Extremely. has, has such a... Just remember that. That's <sighs> so you. sad. It's so sad. It, it, no, I mean, that's that's my point, is that, that that is a tension that needs to be remembered as we discuss this. This That, that specific opinion needs to be kept mm -hmm. in mind. That bias? Um, yes. Nice. So, nice. I like, I like what you did there. Yeah, I've been I've been thinking about it since you were doing the Lost Lore. Anyway, entry sixty seven and six sixty eight is grouped together. So all of our little entries that are grouped together in either pairings or triplets, um, they are generally thematic in what they're describing, which is nice. They're grouped into little themes, and this one is the the traveler is on the move, and it's coming to Earth, and so couple things in specifically um, entry 67, we learned that Titan has already been evacuated prior to the uh, Traveler getting to Earth. And I don't know if we knew that before this entry. So this is a little bit of timeline clarification. So the Titan, the planet Titan or the moon Titan was evacuated before the Traveler got to Earth. And... The Project Niobe is kind of in full, um, full flung, full force. They're moving really quickly now because they they want to be ready and they're pressing forward to get it done. Entry sixty eight is the now this one. This card is very interesting because it describes essentially an enemy or a a force of beings that have arrived mm -hmm. they are For here sure. they are real mm -hmm. go for it beard uh, we have note of it's actually what i'm currently writing right now but if you do a little bit of research you can actually figure out some stuff mm -hmm. uh, we have note of another beast like this actually that uh shows up a little bit or is called a beast uh, an unknown figure that we are completely unsure of. Uh, it comes from the grim, uh, the entry called Bamberga, mm -hmm. uh, in which Pavel Nolg is unsure what he sees, but it is a glowing creature of some kind. Uh, now, this, of course, doesn't necessarily say that it is a glowing creature, but there is a beast, a physical beast, that is now in front of them. Uh, Bamberga is from one of the Dreaming City, or is it Awoken of the Reef is where Bamberga is from? Uh, Bamberga, I've got it up right now, too, because I'm kind of going back and forth between all of that. Uh, current theories and all that. Hooray! Uh, it is from the book The Dreaming City, however. Um, it's one of the kind of last ones. Um, yeah, I've, I've given myself quite a, quite a okay. re-education on all of that. Mm-hmm. You also have the so. creatures that are mentioned in Cade's journal. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to no. say there's there's a couple different things that are kind of showcased in terms of like how how all of these 
beasts, quote unquote, are now being talked about. Uh, and it's really making me wonder which way they're going with it. But Which uh, is, will we get some hints at that in entries 70, 71, and 72? Because yeah. we get somewhat descriptions, not necessarily of the creatures themselves, or more so of what's going on. So the howling is loudest at night. That is in entry 70. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, by dawn, the quiet returns and the smell and the horde smell that brings the dogs. So whatever is out does it's hunting at night primarily from what we can tell. Right. And There's, they also, I like this. They make a uh, special mention. I'm looking at my notes quick mm-hmm. uh, about songbirds and how they don't mm-hmm. hear anything. Yeah. And meanwhile, I sit back and I think about uh, St. 14's, uh, I think it's gray pigeon. Yep. I'm like, yeah, but where are the pigeons then St. 14? Well, they're just in animals in general, because there's only, yeah. uh, and they they make mention of this later on in the book, or in the, yeah, in the book, uh, The Black Armory, right. that there's only one animal or creature that they've seen in weeks by mm-hmm. the end of it. Yeah, which, I'm going to say there's not many, there's only one. But that also mm-hmm. makes sense, right? If you If yep. you know about the way the natural world works, whenever, that's, <clears throat> that's how, um, predator and prey's work you know mm-hmm. if, a, if a if a supreme predator an apex predator is in the vicinity a lot of animals will go completely silent like yep. they, they they hide they hunker down so it makes sense that a lot of nature is responding to you know the the basically the apex predator that has been introduced into the ecosystem here whether mm-hmm. that's whether that's um uh whether that's the take in the hive you know whatever it is that's that to me i I don't know i i love the presentation of these entries because these especially put a degree of weight to what exactly people were going through during the collapse because everyone you know we we all thought the collapse was like you know over and this presents this presents that no no this is this was a war like this was this was a war and even though it might not have been something that we you know the actual event might have been sudden but the aftershocks were you know this is this reminds me of like you know after you know uh until getting dark, hunted down you know this is like this is classic horror film type stuff you know mm-hmm. this is this is just you know uh what's i've oh got everlast you know all these all these horror films yeah. or horror games survival horror games that have come out recently this is what this reminds me of this is i mean these these are people who are they're they're hunkering down as best they can but they're being hunted mm-hmm. and i there's, i really appreciate that there's also a small call to this as well over the course of time we are unsure how long these entries take between pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, entry 67 to 68 may be a matter of 30 minutes. It could be a matter of a couple of days. Right. Mm-hmm. We're not entirely sure by that notion at all, for instance. So these close together entries, I think there's one or two cases, and I would have to read back through them a little bit more detailed, where they say like, when a few hours since last entry or something. Yeah, similar. there mm-hmm. there are. Uh, we'll get a f- we'll get to them here in a couple of minutes. But then there's also one where it it like it mentions that it jumps several weeks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's there's a couple when they're of on them the run. Are, yeah, there's a couple of them that definitely like have some statements in time, but especially the early ones, we're not exactly sure. Like through uh, Inception to 
when the collapse hits and what's not what not how long that kind of is uh and we also are again not sure how long the collapse towards the end of the events that end up uh happening and again not sure about the end of the events of the black armory papers to current day like there's that that basically is what i would kind of say the 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 epitome of what kind of time we're we're sort uh sort of starting to talk about there but anyway i do kind of want to read entry 71 because you were talking about the horror mm-hmm. film yes yes aspect and entry 71 is super super it's just super good mm, it's good so if you, either of you want to read it that's fine with me otherwise i will read it whoever wants to i can that's fine go for it beard Entry 71. Last night we awoke in the middle of the night to the sound of something pounding on the walls. It roared and stomped and howled in frustration until it found the doors. They didn't hold. I never saw it. We were too occupied, blindly firing around a corner. I just remember the smell of wet earth and a sound I've never heard before, like a machine being stretched and then compressed. When it was over, we lost members of our Black Armory family, and the thing, whatever it was, got away. I lost one of my sisters, Helga. We had our problems, but she was right about so many things. I know that now. I wish I could have told her. So, one thing in particular I want to talk about out of this particular entry is the sound like a machine being stretched and then compressed. Also the fact that whatever it was that attacked them wasn't necessarily familiar with um, doors apparently, or like finding doors. Like it was blindly trying to rip into the complex. Right. So either it is not a super um, sentient type creature or it's just not familiar with the architecture of humanity necessarily cuz i mean you would think doors would be kind of universal but i don't know some if it's if it's I mean, as alien as the traveler yeah i mean the vex don't need windows that's true the mm-hmm. geth also don't need windows I'm just not going to respond to that. Um, Okay. (laughs) So the other thing we find out in Entry 72 is that not only was Helga killed, Helga Rasmussen, but also Henriette's daughter, Adelaide. And she was injured. Yeah, she wasn't wasn't killed. She was injured. And she's unconscious. So... There's some, the writing, okay, so here is something I really love about the writing in this book. Just a criticism real quick, or praise, however you want to take it. I love how you can utterly feel the parent aspect of it, and you can feel the hurt and the pain in not only the pacing of the script, because it reads like a script. This is probably, I'm actually recording this right now for our, um, audio grimoire that we're kind of doing and this one in particular is really gut-wrenching it's so easy to slip into character i was actually telling somebody this the other day i was recording like the first two entries and i'm like this is easy to get in the head of the person because you can feel exactly what she's thinking right 
so. especially if you read it all like right in a row. I oh yes. yeah. I had the the pleasure of having enough time to sit down and read this one straight, uh, and I seriously feel like that's the best way to do it. I, mm-hmm. I agree not only is completely it a, with not, that. Not only is it like an easy read, but it is one of those where, like, if you if you can read it from start to finish, you can feel almost exactly what the author was attempting to portray to you as you were. Uh, as you were really, as you really kind of pick through it, but it's great. Yeah, totally. It's, it's interesting to go through. Um, having recorded a lot of the Awoken stuff, it's a little, it's a, um, the Awoken books are very difficult to read as an, as of just a voice acting perspective. This one is very easy to read. It's also easy to understand what you see yep. is kind of what you get. There's no, she doesn't hold back. There's no subterfuge really going on in this. You are getting her a hundred percent. So that being said, that brings us to entries 92, three, four, and five. And yet remember Adelaide is injured. Um, extremely so. It wasn't just like a simple injury. She's unconscious. And now Henriette has to make the decision to either try and save her by going against her instinct or to let go. And so she decides to move forward with their project. And instead of having test subjects or anything like that with Project Niobe, uh, she's going to use her own daughter. And it is gut-wrenching to read this because she's obviously torn about this decision. Why she's like desperate and everything. Like she's going to do it to save her. But then we will discover kind of how she feels about the whole thing afterwards. So, so real quick to interject here. It. This is where the full weight of the meaning of Niobe hammers in. Because to kind of take a tangent here, Niobe, we kind of mentioned this uh, last episode, but to kind of expand on that, uh, Niobe is a figure from Greek mythology who is, and we had mentioned this, was the prototype of the bereaved mother because she lost all her children. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was because of her, basically her hubris, really. Uh, So it's a bit different here because it's not, uh, Henriette is not... Uh, it's not hubris, really, that is causing her loss. Uh, it's actually um, something... I wouldn't even say it's really anything that Henriette did. Niobe was punished for pride uh, by Apollo and Artemis. Um, but, so that's, but, but the thing is, is that both figures here deal with the loss of children. Uh, mm-hmm. Niobe, Niobe lost her six sons and six daughters. Henriette is losing her daughter. Um, and the other thing, too, is when you read these papers, I, I really want to call out, too, is that you know that she, you know, with this section here that uh, something is going on with the Adelaide. Mm-hmm. But you have no, it, it never specifies what. Never. We don't know what the it. injury it is. It never gets called out until the very end of these, this, this uh, book. 
And I mm-hmm. love that about how this particular piece is put together. Like if you're paying, if you, if you read it and you're, 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 you know, you're actively reading it and you're actively engaged in the, the presentation of the story here, you kind of start picking up on it. And, and it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's just really well done that it's like, it's in the back of your mind. It's on the tip of your tongue, but it's not specifically confirmed until the very final page. And then it just, I mean, that to me, you know, Beard, you were talking about reading it all in one sitting. I did the same. Mm-hmm. I read it all in one sitting. And that to me just, you know, I, I for those of you who don't know, I am a parent. So this is like, you know, this is your worst nightmare as a parent ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that made the final letter just that much more wrenching of, a, of mm-hmm. an entry because you realize just how just just what Henriette sacrificed like she she sacrifices literally everything for her child and it's not just like I mean it's she sacrifices her morality for her child to give her a chance and I think that to me is just part of what makes me just really really appreciate this particular piece of of lore is the the human the human nature like the humanity that is just presented here is so on point with what it is to be a parent mm-hmm. i don't think that too as somebody that uh especially as we get into like number 93 mm-hmm. uh, yeah yeah has to now question the uh the extent of what she he they are doing uh, and of course in this case is uh henriette uh she has to basically think about the uh the weight that's on her shoulders with working with the uh black armory as a whole and putting it into full production uh that's actually one of the things though like balance that this balancing act is going on like this entire time uh showcasing like this difference between family uh either by blood in the case of like uh henriette's daughter and herself uh or to uh non-familial or non-blood ties with like helga and yuki and whatnot uh the entirety of the black armory is considered a family amongst each other Mm -hmm. Uh, and that just as a showcase i think is the other piece that really hits hard about how this lore is put together Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, kind of going along with what Green was saying, I think is really a testament to how all of this was pieced together. Uh, and you even get those semblances and those pieces as you kind of go along with uh, Ada One as you as you play through Black Armory as well. Uh, with time, she starts to warm up to you, uh, and that hasn't been something that uh, has necessarily been a thing for her, especially with Guardians for good reason as we'll go along here right. mm. uh for very good reason uh and of course overall for like her her ability to trust in anyone else at this point i mean to her spider was even a better opportunity than anything else that of what she had before uh that should say something for like the level of family and level of trust that she needs from you in order to like really work with this kind of stuff uh, but again, like family is uh, such a major uh, overall contestation of like all of the uh, works that we see within Black Army. 
and Trigger Trigger Blade is uh, bringing it up too, and I wanted to at some point. It is funny how all three of the families are named after ones that really honor their ancestors pretty heavily, at least in some cases. Uh, if you look, especially though, at like Japanese and Norse, uh, they are all about what had happened previously. They are all about ancestral ties and whatnot. Uh, the French, not quite as deep, but they still do hold uh, very heavy familial ties to like how the family is affected. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. I mean, I'll just look at the French Revolution as a whole, and there's your <laughs> one big key indicator. Uh, French don't necessarily sit down and like roll over on a lot of things. Keep all your comments to yourself, please. Huh. Uh, <laughs> But the, no, no, really that's can, that's like, accurate. You, that's I mean, especially in historical like medieval history, French were yeah, like French were for a force to Franks, be reckoned with. The yeah, Franks were like a if mess. you if you actually look into the history, and I'm not counting like the last hundred years or so of uh, French history, like they're they've always been fighters, mm -hmm. uh, and that's why I think that overall, that's really where it all kind of comes into it. Uh, and again, the Japanese and the Norse, they are considered very heavily for these familial ties or also for their fighting styles and so on. Uh, the Vikings and the Japanese, of course, for samurai and the ninja legends and so on that are born out of there. Uh, I could go on. Like the the notions that are sitting within the, the, the needed depictions of these families and so on are so heavy throughout all of this that that family has to be a major focus on it all besides uh again can anybody tell that i like really freaking like black armory mm -hmm. like have i have i made that apparent yet? you blue and anon pig have been going on and on about black armory for the last month mm -hmm. I, I mean it's just it to me it's the it's the ethos of it right it's it's right. just yeah and and you know full disclosure i i don't really play the game as much or at all um but like i'm still really and this this is this is part of like why i still love reading and engaging in in the game is because mm -hmm. this is this is this is storytelling this mm -hmm. is this is what makes me want to know what is going on it's like you know it's not a linear thing it's it's actually building the world making it a emotional journey and I, I just I can't I mean that's that's for me that's why I just love this particular book. Um it really it really does make me as much as I can't stand the mechanics of the game currently. Um if there was anything that would make me want to go back and play it would be something like this. Which is really weird for me to say, but you know, take that for what so, you will. I'm going to dive back into uh, entry 93. And entry 93, we see Yuki is actually working on Adelaide, right? In this entry, she is, she is per, um, proceeding with trying to complete Henriette's life's work. She's trying to make it happen. Oh God, it's, that's such a double, it's, there's so many meanings in that statement too. Mm -hmm. Her life's work is in Yuki's hands now, and I mean, you can take that as her life's work is in the daughter herself, or oh, yeah, that's entirely the development of the EXO. I mean, yeah, there's there's right. multiple meanings in it, 
And she's kind of doing the whole mother crying because she doesn't know if it's going to work, pacing outside type thing. Just It's just that you're in the hospital. It's a hospital scene is what it feels like. Yeah, and I I like that it's you. I mean, it's it's again Yuki is the is the scientist engineer. The engineer yeah, but it also reiterates. You know, Beard. You kind of were talking on this green. You've been talking about this, but it reiterates the the level of trust that mm-hmm. exists between these women. Um, you know, I I, I can't emphasize that enough. Is like, she, Henriette is is sacrificing. She is offering up everything that she holds dear in the world in her entire existence. She's offering it up and she's, she is offering it up in a way that it's not her. That's, that's in charge. She is a completely at Yuki's mercy. And that mm-hmm. for someone who, you know, for, for anyone who's ever gone through, you know, a, a medical emergency, that, that is not something that is Easy. done it's it's not something that's easy, but it's also not something that necessarily is ever done willingly. Right. Um, and it's it's like the emotion again of just like the the human the human uh, connection there for those of us you know reading this and it just it's like what you were saying, Green. It it's easy. It's it's the raw presentation of this is how she is feeling. There is no there is no ulterior motive um, necessarily. I, I just I love that about this. It reminds me a lot of I know we kind of mentioned this in the last episode, but this reminds me a lot of uh, the road. It's it's mm-hmm. just that it's that just pain. It's just pain, and it's just you know, but it's it's pain that is accessible for those of us mm-hmm. reading it. So there's well, in addition ahead. to that too with the procedure itself that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, just yeah. to call it out before we get too far from it they can't call clovis ray so to speak in case mm-hmm. there's any hiccups right yeah that the thing that is being worked on is entirely done by the black armory uh has no hands in it by clovis Bray at all uh and in addition also means that they are uh they I, i've always kind of read double meaning into this because it means that they might have actually called clovis Bray on a couple of things before which well, Again, they did. There were a couple there of was... forges on Exodus Black, so they probably had some dealings with them. Oh yeah, but, and yeah. The other thing that Blue just pulled up in chat, and I wanted to mention, is that this is the first time it's ever been done on Earth. Yep. There was no exoscience, or at least no exos be- created on Earth before this. Which begs the question, because then you also have to take into consideration her opinion of exos, and it makes you mm-hmm. wonder. Is is there a is there a moral component to why you know there you know Beard and I we've we've gone around and around about uh, Mars being like yeah. arguably the center of Clovis Bray. It might have right. been something as simple as politics and morality debates that drove well, them to kind of take it like okay well, we're not allowed to do that then we're going to go to you know the, this third world country that doesn't have extradition laws and you know that's a terrible well, pun or something terrible I want to bring up. want to bring up for the that aspect itself if you think about um what rasputin back in d1 says about exos you're not one of mine you're not one Mm -hmm. of the war machines so it's quite possible that her impression of exos are literally just war machines not 
the actual people themselves, not considered a person because she says they have no soul. I just thought of this. So. uh, The, the thing with Ada is that it's Ada one, right? Yes. Ada is the only known, possibly the only black armory exo. Yes. Mm -hmm. Rasputin is apparently linked up with a good majority of all exos. Mm-hmm. What if Rasputin is the one that is in charge of every single reset that occurs within an exo? And because Ada is in no way connected with the uh, system that Rasputin uses, that's why she's still Ada 1. I was also actually having that exact same talk with some of my clanmates talking about how Ada has Black Armory Tech Incorporated. So it's fully possible that Black Armory essentially helped either remove DER completely from the programming, if it is programming, or solved it. Well, either that or it's also because of the age of the person that you're dealing with at this point. That's Uh, also something was mentioned. Well, it could be a memory component. It could be a developmental component. It's psychological. I don't know. I, I also want to point out, too, that Ada, when she's, like, when, when Ada 1 is activated, so, hey, spoiler alert, I guess, Adelaide is Ada. Um, when Ada, I mean, really I, we're kind of, we, yeah. well, I mean, we've been dancing around that entire thing. Um, but when Ada come, is emerged, as far as we see in these papers, too, she has no recollection of Adelaide. She yes, like Ada Ada is presented as she believes herself to be a robot. Right. So there's a there's a degree of which I think the Black Armory philosophically had a different approach to Exos than maybe Clovis Bray did because the DER stems from the psychological disconnect of a human brain, you know, realizing it's not in a human body. But Ada doesn't like arguably doesn't have that issue, which is really, I, I still am kind or of grappling with that. Was, was it because she was unconscious when it was committed or when it was well, created? Or? I mean, there's, there's, there's a there's lot of variables. Level. There's, yeah, there's sorry. also entry 94 because entry 94 at least states there's no oh, time God, to finish yeah. the process in the labs. Yeah. So the question is, did they ever have a possibility to complete said process? That's uh, to also actually, true. And the, and actually that's, like, yeah, just to just to like fully give her the psychosis that she was missing. The psychology well, and that's where that that's the part that I'm grappling with, too. Right. Is that, yeah. you know, she keeps referring to Ada. We keep everyone keeps referring to Ada as Adelaide. But the thing is, is like, first off, um, so they didn't have the time to finish the process. We have a continuously robotic presentation of Ada in the Black Armory papers. I, I'm continuously grappling with this thing of like i don't know if ada is actually adelaide like they might have started they might have started the process but they never got the full download completed and And so if that's the case the question is how far that even goes to begin with uh and was it more like a proxy soul so to speak right exactly needed to basically infuse into it well, yeah, and then the, and then ninety five, you have the you have the the remains are buried, which confirms yeah. another theory about how well, exos are created too. 
But I've always read this. Uh, originally, I had read this one of two ways. I had thought, okay, this is Adelaide being buried, or it was Helga being buried. I couldn't tell which. Uh, so of course, yeah. You go actually, along, you say I that. Kinda, I yeah. I kind of figured out that it was probably more like she she just outright said about Helga dying. And mm-hmm. immediately, that was what I thought to the first time. I was like, oh. "Oh no, wait a minute! This is what she's she's probably talking about." See, um, I always I know. thought it was Ada. I've always I always read that as Ada, just because yeah. everything else is themed around Ada in this entry. Well, right. and yeah, that and that's that, it. and it's like, and like they just got done with like, um, like entry ninety four is you know, blah, 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 we can't finish. But, we have to do it from the road. We leave at dawn. And then 95 is, I I buried her remains this morning. Mm-hmm. It I mean, could be, I mean, if you're following Beard's logic of it being Helga, it, the idea that they hadn't finished the transfer, uh, the transference, they had to do it on the road, right? So did they right, still need her remains it, to do it? Well, and that's what I'm saying is, that's what, that's my, my, grappling my problem with ada as adelaide is i i legitimately don't know what i think as far as is ada actually adelaide did that transference ever occur and because and the reason why i'm saying that is because if ada one is not adelaide if she is literally just an a, a ai you know a partial ai whatever you want because i mean she is taught by henriette on the road you know, everything that she teaches, she she teaches Ada, um, you know, the butterfly, which we'll get to the the entire events with the, the risen, you know, all these things she is on. She is constantly walking her through as if she's a child. And so there's there's this constant thing of like, is it Adelaide who's just, you know, is still a child or is it mm-hmm. is it that Ada never got that human uh, uh, spark, I guess you would say that never yeah. got that piece that would incur der you know it, now, there's a po- potential is, here dino had brought up a good thing in chat or a thing to remember in chat about the the i think it was one of the fry files mm-hmm. on yeah, mars yeah, yeah. that he's mentioning the reboot mm-hmm. he says the first is to reboot the mind once it has been transferred allowing it to awaken inside its new shell as though it were being reborn this has side effects of memory loss and fragmentation, but it's highly effective in preventing in prevention of DER. So it's possible that the transfer can like com- was completed as planned, and that we're actually just seeing the birth of an EXO. Right. No, and that and that's the thing. That's that's part of what that's why I keep going back to that that I'm kind of like struggling with, is because right now there's enough variable that that entirely that entire situation could be viable but it's also right. entirely viable that they never got around transferring the 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 memories of adelaide and you know that was the process that they were supposed to finish you know it, it's i mean there, there's one way that this argument can be solved and that's if we ever figure out if lakshmi 2 is lakshmi rebooted another time after awakening mm-hmm. or if it's lakshmi 2 rebooted the first time that's realistically what it's going to come down oh you're to. saying like if if the first number that an exo is assigned is two or one mm-hmm. right yeah 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 because i mean that's so, fair too because Lash- up until now lakshmi has been the lowest number right eight is yes. really it but it, at this point but 
with her having the difference in design and whatnot as well, that's where the questions really kind of do get to sparking again, almost about Exos all, almost all as a whole, all over again, uh, yeah. with how their their resets work, with how everything else kind of manages. Uh, also, what happens when a child is put into one of these forms, etc. Yeah, and to be fair, we also don't have examples of that. I mean, that that man, that makes me think of a war mind, to be honest. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, to kind of continue the story a little bit, and we're, I'm going to speed through some of this a tiny bit. Yeah. Um, the back on entry... So there was one thing I wanted to mention on entry 93, but I don't remember what it was right now. Frick. Uh, okay, we'll just skip ahead to 99. Um, they're trying to leave. Oh, I remember what it was. Um, an example of the timing of these journal entries, how mm-hmm. they're variable. Everything for uh, 92, 93, 94, or 99, 100, and 101 are very close together in time, or at least we assume it's very close together in time because um, Henriette is trying to distract herself. Right. So you see an entry that is literally her patching up the hole from the previous battle that they had with that thing, the beast or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, entry 99, they're loading up in trucks and leaving. There are dead crows on the ground, and, which is a bad omen in a lot of cultures. And she mentions that here as well. Which is they're... also funny to think about dead crows. Yeah. What we have <laughs> crows today. Anyway. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Um, there are five of them left. Yuki, Henriette, and three more of our Black Armory family. Well, the five of us and the EXO. So, first mention of Henriette referring to Ada as the EXO. Mm-hmm. She only caught a glimpse of her so far, so much as writing on that metal and synth body. So, she can't look her in the eye. She She just can't reconcile everything that's that's happened that is going on and so the exo is curious interestingly enough we've learned that in exo or entry 100 she has Mm -hmm. tons of question as any child tends to have because that's what children do they ask all the questions but we also see that humans are not trustworthy with weapons when everybody has them Let's see here. Is this the entry where they get shot at? Yes. Yeah. yeah. They get not shot by, at. Not by the right guys just yet, but yeah. Yeah, they're shot at by regular humans in this one. Yeah. And she basically is like, we have the same enemies, you idiots. Even as the bones of civilization are picked clean, we continue to fight one another because that's what humanity likes to do. Um, but I do it, like uh, that little previous, my fears of putting weapons in the hands of everyone mm-hmm. true, mm-hmm. which again begs the question is how how much these weapons uh, were actually put forth by BA uh, or were remodified or redistributed by another company. Yeah. And uh, entry 101, the trucks are stuck and they have to go on foot. So... The the travelers that are heading, they're heading in the opposite direction. And so she's questioning her decision to abandon the lab. But it's just one of her many decisions she'd like to have back. Entry 104. 
They had some downtime, so Yuki wanted to test the EXO's new functionality. I just love the intro to this entry. Well, well, today was <laughs> today was today was horrible. horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, Helga's great experiment to make our weapons more deadly through a sort of on-the-spot phase transition of the guns. In other words, a walking, talking forge, and. There's there's some excitement in this card because seeing the Exo discover her ability was, well, thrilling. It was nice to feel something other than dread for a few minutes. And a few minutes was about all we got. We were sloppy. While the Exo practiced using her ability, we were ambushed by... Dun, 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 I don't even know what they were. So this is the appearance of the essential, like some of the first Risen... They definitely were not regular humans. They had abilities that the rest of us don't. We took one down, we thought. But then, and this one I want you to pay really close attention to, but then his little red drone lit up and he was on his feet again. Why is it red? All of our all of our ghosts are blue. That's my first question for you guys. Yeah, except for one or two major people that we kind of know of at this point. And I can call them out if you would like me to. <laughs> I would like for you to. The first one is Asher Mir. The question basically comes down to if Asher uh, probably were not obviously within this area at this time, uh, and in addition, if we had something with, uh, if Asher's ghost was here, uh, if the corruption by the Vex is what had caused it to turn red-eyed, we're not sure about that one. The secondary one is the Drifter. Drifter is the only other one that I believe we know of that has a red-eyed ghost. Uh, the other question, though, kind of pans back towards uh, if some of the other warlords may have had some of that stuff, or if some of the other eyes had uh, some sort of change uh, that we could have seen them with or otherwise. Uh, I will say that like the blue and white that we are used to of a good majority of ghosts that is the naturality that we are kind of used to when it uh, comes to the way that ghosts are put together, uh, thanks to Destiny 1. Uh, the secondary thing, however, comes down to the, uh, what is it, to the to some of the shells that we've also kind of seen. Some have had uh, now been told that they, they have like green eyes as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm wondering if the the eye situation isn't quite as large as we're making it out to be. Uh, but again, just to kind of make it uh, point known, uh, the only other one that we really know of with a red eye right now is uh, is the Drifter's uh, red-eyed uh, ghost, as far as I know. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of go along with Viru's idea as well. It was... The the wording here, I immediately think about the the eye as well, but then his little uh, red drone lit up and he was on his feet again. The question would come down to: Is this a red shell? Uh, yes. Is the, or is this a red eye? Or mm-hmm. is this just red light? Or is there something else that kind of goes into it? To my yeah. knowledge, however, <clears throat> the light that comes from our ghosts, even where we're in like resurrection phase doesn't change depending on our shell that we have mm-hmm. that almost always stays uh, as like a white light so it is either possibly in terms of the shell 
which we did have the Frontier Shell very early on in Destiny 1, so there may have been something there that had happened. But if all ghosts were resurrected and created equal, so to speak, uh, and at that point we did not have shell technology or alterations, and well, they would have all been well, like the uh, white-ish. What about pulled pork? Because pulled well, pork had a different color shell before he pulled got pork started. was given his by the reef because that's he visited true. there. Well, but so the that other, would have been a different idea. The other thing is, is that's assuming that ghosts can't change their own shells. Because yeah. I mean, if you really want to go back far, far, there was there was hints in Destiny. I think it was Alpha or Beta of um, specialized shells based on different abilities of ghosts. Like they had a hacker shell, they had a uh, you know a sneak shell, and, and so there's there's also the kind of the murmurs of that too. But I'll be honest, when I read this, I didn't even I read this as the shell. I read this as a right. red shell. I didn't even think I didn't even read it as because the thing is is like. When when someone sees a bobbing drone, the light is not the eye is not really um, the first thing you notice about a ghost. Are you saying that the drone had little like red airline flight light type things like red and white? No, I mean I just I, I think mean, I mean I'm reading that as like uh, it's a red like the frontier shell like what yeah, you're just saying like I I read it or like the triumph shell or you know like there's 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 infinitely number of different shells and that's assuming right. that the ghosts didn't fashion their own shells. You know these there, are these are risen rooms for interpretation on right, it for sure. Right. I, I didn't. Still, I didn't. I still fall, sorry. No, I was just going to say my my in my logic or my inference there is that the way it's described is little red drone lit up. If it had been a red light, I would have said I you know I just would have assumed it was like a little drone with a red light. You know, like there was it, mm-hmm. the placement of the color on that just makes me think shell, not light. And it, mm-hmm. and I assume and I connect and this is me I connect the the eye with the light like even Asher's ghost in uh, the ghost fragment um, Eris Morn is described as having a red eye. It's a ghost shell. It's you know it's it's the the presentation is a ghost with a red eye. It's not a a red ghost. It's a ghost with a red eye. Um, the was it the ancient apocalypse set. Now that mm-hmm. you say that green, I do remember that. That ghost is also described as a ghost with a red eye. Like it's not; they're not. They I never. I've never seen a ghost described it's, as the color of the eye presented as the ghost. If that makes sense, it just seems very odd because we're so used to seeing the blue eye. No. Oh yeah, no, well, and I, I completely that's, agree. That's... Here's one thing to maybe just throw it to rest for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, I still want to come back to this because by the end of the. Uh, by the end of this, no, there's still something else that makes it possible that this is the drifter. Oh yeah, no, 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 uh, and I, I know where you're going with that. The frontier shell specifically says, "Tough, rugged, and defiantly colored, ready to brave the high frontier." Mm-hmm. Ghosts can self-modify at will. Yes, and that's that's what I mean. That's what I was thinking of, like a ghost who's made its own shell. And yes, I. That being all said, what you're alluding to does actually draw possible connection assuming assuming that something wasn't done properly yeah it's still obvious spin foil when all is said and done but that's the the major thing to kind of sit back and think about uh there's still several layers that kind of suggest that overall there's still a possibility 
this could be Drifter. So uh, keep your thinking caps on, kids. Also, thanks to Doom for Zombies for just pushing me to go and look up the darn thing. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of figured that there was something else going on with that Frontier shell, but I couldn't put my finger on what. So, continuing the story a little bit, um, during this fight, Yuki gets injured, and it's a bad injury, so much so that the Exo has to carry her. And Yuki is basically like, I don't, like, leave me behind, and Henriette is not willing to do that. Which brings us to entry 108, 109, and 110. Before we get to 108, uh, just to throw it out there, we could actually throw in Izanagi's Burden's entry Mm -hmm. at this point. Yeah. Uh, Izanagi's Burden actually goes over the events that are going to happen here. Uh, in a completely different way, uh, from a completely different perspective. Uh, so if you get a chance to read over that, I would definitely recommend to. But keeping in track with the papers, take yep. it away green. So Yuki is dead, and Henrietta explains what happened. So the one of the men who attacked us returned, this time with an offer. He wanted the EXO. He had seen what she was capable of back at the truck, so he saw that... Um, Ada was able to create weapons. Uh, The Exo stood, willing to sacrifice herself for us. And so what ends up happening is Henrietta was just like, I was horrified, but before I can say anything, Yuki lied and said she had the Obsidian Accelerator. Now, you were here before the show started. We talked quite a while about the Obsidian Accelerator. That it was in her backpack. And the, I believe the Obsidian Accelerator is what actually allows for Ada to do the Weaponsmith creation. Yeah, I'm going to say it's yeah, Or modification, yeah. Modification. Or, or go, what was it specifically? I will, yeah. You uh, looked that Just up back it. in Entry 104, uh, Helga's great experiment to make our weapons more deadly through a sort of on-the-spot phase transition of the guns mm-hmm. in other words a walking talking forge yep uh that is the entire purpose of project niobe which again still falls into a couple things that i have with the vax carry on yep yep keep going so um yuki lied said that she had the obsidian accelerator and the man decided that he was going to basically fall for it he got closer and she what it ends up boiling down to is Yuki had a grenade in her backpack or in the bag that she said had the obsidian accelerator and Yuki got the man close enough to her while she was far enough away from the others to pull the pin and sacrifice herself while killing at least for a time, the risen that was attempting to essentially rob them. And so after that, uh, Henriette is basically, she's lost Helga. She's lost now Yuki. She's lost in a lot of ways her own daughter. So she's numb to so much. It's She doesn't know how to keep going at this point. And I believe it's either at this point or very shortly after this it that it's literally just Ada and Henriette. Mm-hmm. And so they make it to the airport, which is an entry 115. 
The control plower is ablaze and and the monstrous sounds on the wind will keep us from investigating any further. So whatever it is, is it's at the airport. They can't do anything. And basically what ends up happening now for quite a while is they start traveling. They start trying to get away from the area. And Ada is asking all these questions. And there's a particular question that is quite devastatingly sad. Um, They see vehicles, a petrol, petrol machine, a petrol car. And Ada asks, um, I even have a hard time even saying it. She asks basically if it could still be alive. And Henriette had to explain it was never alive. Those machines had no souls, which is incredibly heartbreaking because she's talking to Ada, who she believes at this point has no soul in some respects. And then she avoids it. Yeah, she does. Told her I had a headache and needed some quiet. Typical woman. Um, Anyway. Well, if somebody was going to say it. I'm not. I'm just moving on. So entry 117. Um... So they're wary of humans, they're wary of the monsters or the creatures. They are always on the road moving to nowhere and they're paranoid. She can't escape the feeling that they're being followed by the man that had the drone. Mm-hmm. They I mean, we also get actually a location which is kind of nice. There Henriette is hopeful if they can make it south to the Mediterranean Sea, even if it means going through the Alps. So the base for Black Armory is somewhere further north of the Mediterranean. Can't necessarily say for sure where, but mm-hmm. they're wanting to go say, th- through the Alps, at least. Yeah, unfortunately, that is still well, a, a very large range. It is, it, but it's not South America. Yeah. Well, that, and then also, if we take in Henriette, it would be it would make sense that that is the French. area. Yeah. Right. Possible, possible. Uh, entry one twenty three is uh, kind of a nice break from all the darkness of mm-hmm. all of these. It's uh, nostalgia. So essentially, Henriette is explaining to Ada. Um, places from her own childhood. They came upon an amusement park. And so she was like, this is where I used to eat. This is where I rested my feet whenever I was tired. There was a petting zoo. There were so many exotic animals. And so it's a nice little break from it. It's still a little sad because none of that is there anymore. But it is probably one of the most, um, I don't know, motherly interaction that I that you see from Henriette, even though she's just explaining it to Ada about what this area is, it seems very naturally mother-like compared save to a lot for, of their interactions. Save for one other one that's here, but uh, yeah, to fill in the blank that's um, that's actually on uh, this area as well. Uh, if anybody, uh, if you have not read Ada's Lone Wolf. Uh, at this point, this is actually a very good place to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which is her ship. Is, 
Yeah. Uh, this is actually where she kind of recounts these memories. And it's almost like Ada's uh, taken those memories and made them her own, uh, which is very interesting to kind of say the least. But that's why this, this entry in particular uh, is the one of why she doesn't pine for the past. She pines for what was told in that moment to her, because that's really all that she knows. Mm -hmm. uh, which, after you kind of grasp onto the entirety of like how Ada's character is, uh, anything that was given to her is by the founder at this point, her mother. Not that she knows that. Right. Yeah, because Ada doesn't know anything about who this woman is. And we actually find out um, in the next the next card or the next entries, next mm -hmm. couple of entries, that you get pretty much for sure that Ada doesn't know that Henrietta is her mother. Right. So entry 142, they see the very first creature, or Ada sees her very first um, animal, insect, actually. She sees a butterfly. Mm -hmm. And she, and this is another one of those moments, I think this is the one you were referring to, Beard. Yeah, this is actually where you can uh, look back on the entry from the, uh, from Le Monarch. Uh, mm -hmm. And that actually goes over the actual interaction that they kind of have. Uh, it's another uh, it's another entry almost entirely, uh, probably somewhere after this one. I forget what uh, it it may even technically be entry one forty five. We don't know, uh, but it it goes into this instance of like how. Uh, they talk about the monarch and whatnot, or about the the butterflies in general, etc. Uh, and this is also a moment that uh, kind of earlier on-ish into uh, how Henriette starts to view Ada, uh, where she puts her hand on her back and starts to realize like what she is a little bit more. Uh, mm -hmm. It starts to warm up to the idea of what she is, etc. Uh, and that's actually how this kind of uh, starts to kind of flourish with how she starts to see Ada versus, like, what she sees Ada as. Right. Uh, which is a very large distinction to kind of make. Um, it also, it also it, mentions a beautiful, beautiful poem uh, from mm -hmm. Victor Hugo Vernovo, which is the uh, translated into the Genesis of Butterflies. Um, yeah. Chat chat mentions this also. Uh, the butterfly is the kind of the sigil that the um, Myron, uh, Myron Myron family has taken. And I, I actually, if you guys don't mind, I want to read the Genesis of Butterflies because it's just I, I it's really really pretty. Um, <clears throat> and so obviously this is a French poem, so I'm not going to read it in French because that is not that's beyond my skill set. I would butcher that. Please no. Uh, yeah, I, I, no, I'm not going to do that to anyone. Uh, but translated, it's the Genesis of Butterflies. It goes, the dawn is smiling on the dew that covers the tearful roses. Lo, the little lovers that kiss the buds and all the flutterings in jasmine bloom. And privet of white wings that go and come and fly and peep and hide with muffled music murmured far and wide. Ah, the springtime when we think of all the lays that dreamy lovers send to dreamy maze of the fond hearts within a billet bound of all the silk, soft silk paper that pens wound. The messages of love that mortals write, filled with intoxication of delight, written in April and before the May time, shredded and flown, playthings for the wind's playtime. 
We dream that all white butterflies above who seek through clouds or waters souls to love and leave their lady mistress in despair to flit to flowers as kinder and more fair are but torn love letters and that through the skies flutter and float and change to butterflies. Um, it is a good one. It's also very symbolic of yes. what is going on here uh, as well. So there's there's a lot there's a lot to unpack, and I think um, obviously I should it should come as no surprise that Raid Secrets has <laughs> has dissected this quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, so yeah, it, it's just, but yeah, that that's actually one of the poems that I, I really like that that particular poem. It's very very, and then it's also it it. Um, I think that entry has one of the best concluding lines and it says, perhaps if either of us had any tears, we would have cried. Yeah. And, There's and also a lot of bonding, right? Because right before that, uh, Henriette says, I told her that she has so much in common with this beautiful winged creature. Butterflies start as so much less and make themselves something more. And then we find a little bit later that they're the drone. They see a drone mm-hmm. in entry one forty three, and then they have kind of that mother daughter fight in entry one forty four. <laughs> even though they, Henriette knows she's her daughter, but Ada doesn't know Henriette's her mother, and she basically the, the rebuttal is just the best part. Uh huh. So Henriette snaps at. Um, I don't know. So, what is it? It's, she it's, say it's they just, were traveling. Ada like, says, "Yeah, Ada's just being the proverbial child. She's just asking yes. questions, constant, 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 constant. And finally, it just seems like Henriette's like, okay, enough. Like, just shut up for two seconds. And, yep. And Ada said, the other people from the Black <laughs> Armory were nicer. <laughs> but it's, yeah." Oh my god, I just love it. Oh. Yep, yep. Oh uh, my gosh. So, something that's kind of sad about the end of this entry though is that we find that Henriette in order to avoid answering questions from Ada, she actually either sleeps, buries pretend, her face, pretends. Yes, yeah, she pre- pretends to sleep, bury her face in this journal to just to avoid answering questions. So this is where my theory of where a lot of the other card or other entries are is some of the attempts at Henriette to avoid answering questions is just her musings that are not necessarily anything important. Or, I mean, you know, the other thing that they could be is they could be her writing answers to the questions that she's trying to avoid. That is also something to think about. Ah, I'm excited about the next one. Yes, Uh, I was about to say, this is the one that you were telling me about. Yes. So entry 150 is probably my favorite entry out of all of them because there's some singing that happens. So surprise, surprise, uh, Green likes the singing card. Um, She put the journal aside. She's been too tired to write in it. Her clothes are looser and she's concerned that, or Ada's concerned that Henriette is shedding mass, a.k.a. she's losing weight. She's starving. 
she's starving to death because they don't have any food. They're collecting berries on the side of the road. And so at night, Henriette sings to herself to calm her nerves. And there's two things in those cards that are just heartbreaking. One is the song. So Ada pays rapt attention and shortly asked me to teach her the song. And it's uh, Le Dame de Cerie, which is uh, translated The Season of Cherries, which is a French tune. You can go out and listen to it. The translation is beautiful. It's kind of like a springtime song. It's also, I mean, the French, almost all French music has mentions of love and loss in it. So there's also that in there. But uh, it is a it is a beautiful and slightly somber piece of music which is not unique to the French, but it is a very apt song for this card. And she, she asked how I know it. And that's actually Henriette speaking. And Henriette's not in any condition to talk about him. She just tells her it's an old family tradition. So this is the only mention of the possible father to Adelaide that we have in the book period so it is a sad sad card still beautiful and just makes my heart sing because I love any cards that relate back to music and I can dive into the music a little bit Uh, entry 151 also not a fun card to read as far as like sadness Henriette kind of admits her own hypocrisy in this card Mm -hmm. she's it's just hard to even talk about sometimes I tried to answer some of her questions about the black armory about life before the end about what I believed in about what makes us who we are about what makes her who she is If you don't know where you come from, how can you know who you are? Our past defines us more than we are willing to admit. All this, all that is lost, I'm telling her that she should care for it. Our past is precious and needs to be remembered. I tell her this realizing that I'm the one holding back. I'm the one keeping secrets. I'm the hypocrite. Stopping me from being able to even look at her. Someday, probably soon, she'll be the only life our legacy has left. Maybe one day I won't be such a coward. Maybe then I'll tell her everything. And it's just... There's a lot to unpack there, too, uh, from yeah. from like a psychological point of view. Uh, so, like, again, you... Uh, there's a lot of a lot of things that are easy to connect with, uh, especially for a parent. Uh, you know, reading this as a parent, as opposed to, I think maybe someone who doesn't have a child, it it resonates a lot too, because there are things that you know, even even so, taking out of the context of you know the situation that Henriette and Ada are in. Um, even in today's world, there's a lot of things that as a parent, you don't want your kid to be exposed to, you know, you want to protect them, but that's where, you know, that line, our past defines us more than we are willing to admit. And if you don't know where you come from, how can you know who you are? That is really important to keep in mind here because 
for our own sake as well, you know, censorship can protect, but it can also hinder. And that's where the hypocrisy that she's mentioning kind of, I think I'm reading stems from is that by, by censoring the information that she's giving Ada here, she's actually stifling her growth and her ability to be the legacy. That is what she is designed to be. And, not that she's able to overcome it because at the end, you know, she even even now in this entry, she can't she can't make herself, you know, tell her the truth. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's where you see a lot of that heart wrench, heart wrenching, you know, emotion because Henriette is 100 percent conflicted here that she knows what she should do, but she doesn't have the strength to do it. Um, You know, and I I. I as again, as a parent, I kind of can, I can resonate with that. There's a lot of times where you, you know what you should do and it's not easy. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that you do in life. That's not easy, but being, being a parent is one of probably the hardest things that I've ever come across. And it's because you have to make decisions that don't just affect you anymore, right? They, they affect another, another living being. And that living being is someone who might not necessarily respond to a situation the same way you do, which is, it's just huge. It's a huge, you know, variable that you can't, you cannot calculate. And I don't know, like to me, this just resonates because it's, it's, there's, there's the parenting aspect. There is the, the, the psychological aspect of just in general, uh, evolutionary like growth from a social sense point, you know, educational point. There's a lot going on here that I think is really important, not just in game, obviously, but also just, you know, kind of something that speaks more to, you know, a lot of what's going on in today's world as well. But I think in, in game, especially you see that this is a point at which she is choosing to censor the information that she's giving Ada to make it, you know, whatever, make it more palpable or easier for her. And, you know, we've seen Henriette in the, in the earlier issues or earlier entries already. She, if she gets confronted with the challenging question, she will deflect and she'll defer it and all this stuff. And this is kind of her starting to realize that maybe that wasn't the best thing to do. Uh, so it's a self-realization as well, which is again, going back to that parenting thing, you know, there's no guidelines on how to parent everyone. Everyone has that. That's kind of a joke that kids don't come with an instruction manual. You kind of have to figure it out on your own. Um, and this is like, this is, again, that's kind of where I kind of, I kind of read that in here is this is, this is her kind of being like, Oh yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. And it's her like pseudo realizing it, but then she doesn't, I, I don't know. It's, it's very human. She realizes she's, what she's doing wrong, but then she doesn't follow through necessarily with fixing yeah, it. No, she's still, and you see that in the next entries a little bit because uh, 157, 58 and 159, uh, they get to the shoreline and there's a camp oh, there. Yeah, yeah. So they can't necessarily get to, uh, Corsica, mm-hmm. because there's really no way to get there from there. There's no, there'll be no boating away from Europe, essentially, is what she says. And then 158, in this camp area, there is a woman with a drone that is at the camp. She just showed up and she seems to be law and order here. 
She made a point of being impressed with our charge, charged black armory weapons. Does she have good taste or does she know more than she lets on? We can't take the risk. We have to leave soon. So uh, Henriette basically has a panic attack because of this woman showing up because she doesn't know what's going to happen. She's, she's untrust. She doesn't trust her. Um, but we find out in the next entry, which is a little bit more soft and not enjoyable, but uh, humanizing of Ada because some of the children and their parents asked if Ada wouldn't mind holding their hand and talking to them. And apparently um, this is Ada's first encounter with children and she takes right to them. Like she's at ease with kids, makes them feel comfortable and Henriette just is really seems to be very proud of that aspect. And she plays hide, uh, Ada plays hide and seek with the kiddos. And she also makes friends with some other exos that are in the camp, two others actually. And they became really good friends. And Henriette just can't seem <laughs> at the very last line. I love that. She's quite good at hide and seek. Yeah. She's. <laughs> A skill I'm more than happy to let her I love that. She's like, yo, that's a good skill. Yeah. So um, the last line is kind of the heart wrencher here. Mm -hmm. Henriette says, seeing her experience others makes me realize that she deserves to be free of me, but I can't resolve to let her go. So Henriette realizes that she's not exactly the best mother, but she's she just can't let her like she just can't let her go even though she knows that there are aspects that are that ada would be fine with interacting with other people children especially exos that she hasn't she still doesn't she hasn't told ada that she's her mother so entry 170 there are the people with the drones human with drones fought a battle in the camp against other people with drones. So you see two different factions of Risen going against each other. Ada and uh, Henriette sees it as an opportunity to escape. I know why they're here. I recognize one of them, the man from before, the one with the red drone, the one who killed Yuki. They're here for the Obsidian Accelerator. We have to leave. And so... She she watches the camp from the cliffs and she sees the people with the drones fan out in all directions. And they, she can follow the path in the darkness by the flickering of their drone lights. There's no time for anything else. And despite her concern, she has opened up to me. I'm removing the obsidian accelerator and sending her down the road. They can come and get it from me, not her. This is likely goodbye. And that leads us to the final entry. Which, before we get there, <clears throat> I want to call out something real quick as well. Go for it. She, in Entry 170, obviously she knew this man in particular. She's also sitting there calling out the Red Drone, which seems to not be similar to all of the other drones. Yep. So the Red portion is definitely not something that is consistent with other... Uh, with other uh, ghosts that are hanging around. Um, in addition to this, they are, at least I'm assuming, several miles or 
maybe even much further than that, uh, considering they get to the shoreline uh, to the Mediterranean, mm -hmm. uh, away from the labs that they were in uh, or away from where their original headquarters was. Uh, so keep that in mind with her taking the Obsidian Accelerator away here versus, of course, where we uh, seemingly find it, which is in another position uh, completely different. Uh, that's what I'm I'm kind of wanting to point out here, at least originally. Uh, just keep it in the back of your mind. I still want to come back to this in a little bit. But again, the drone being called out as red is very important. Uh, and it is obviously a factor that uh, makes Henriette have to sit back and go, uh, I know who this guy is. Anyway. Yeah. But yeah, um, last entry, which, Green, if this is tough for you, I get it. I can take it. Please. <laughs> uh, the final entry is a rocky one. Uh, it is effectively a goodbye letter to uh, Adelaide, which is actually... There, there are two things here at the top of this entry that are important to find, uh, pull out. The first big one is that this is listed as final entry. And then after that is Dear Adelaide. Doesn't call her Ada, doesn't do much of anything else. Uh, says Dear Adelaide. And all of this is within the final entry. Uh, she does not expect to get away from this circumstance, and we have no idea if she actually, excuse me, does or not. Uh, it's very likely that uh, Henriette doesn't doesn't make it though. Uh, which is kind of as we as we go along, you start to hear how much of a dire situation everything is. Uh, I think I'm honestly just going to read it because I think for Henriette, this is a just yeah, a, a good, I agree goodbye session honestly um so again starting from the top here final entry dear adelaide when those people and their drones found me alone at the deserted intersection they demanded to know where you were i offered them the obsidian accelerator i gave it freely you promised you would leave me and you did but you never said how far you would go did you you stayed close enough to watch through your scope as the man took aim at my head, I heard the shot and assumed I was dead. But it was him who was dead, not me. You were so far that none of us knew where to look. The second man winged me with one of our own weapons. He began to gloat about that, but another round from him shut him up. Uh, another round from you shut him up. Two more thunderous shots and their drones were as dead as they were. I saw the glare from your scope disappear, and I knew you were heading away. I know you must feel guilty, but don't. It was I who wronged you. I grabbed the accelerator and got as far from the shouts of the aggressors as I could. They've been on my tail. By now, you're long gone, and I've led those people back inland. But I'm done running. The end of my story is close, as it probably should be. So I guess it's time I tell you a few things about, well, you. The end of your life should have followed its natural trajectory. I'm ashamed I changed it for selfish reasons. Does the name 
Adelaide bring you any flicker of recognition. It is your birth name, and you heard it every day of your life until the day I sent you, without your consent, into a new world. You became Ada One when I robbed you of your end. I've loved you since before you were born, and in trying to give you everything, perhaps I've robbed you of a final human experience, a dignified death. I know I will not see you again. If you want to know about your past, know that you were born on a, a second time in the Niobe labs. When you were wounded at the labs and I saw you were losing your fight, I did what I always did when the chips were down. I created something. You, Ada One. From what I had almost completely lost, I did it out of fear of losing you forever. I charted the course of your life and made decisions that were yours to make, not mine. I hope you find it in your heart to forgive me for that. I was naive, looked too often to the past. I just couldn't let any of it go. I never did have much respect for the natural order of things. Helga, well, she was the opposite of me. She only wanted to grow the armory to see its full potential, and Yuki helped make the vision that vision possible. The two of them spent as much time looking ahead as I did looking back. I realize now that there's a balance to life. You look backward a little, you look forward a little, but most importantly, you live in the here and now. You appreciate what you have, because you never know when it'll be all snatched away from you. Learn from our successes and our missteps. Be bold. Do not fear the future. Respect the past. And never forget where you came from. And try never to fear death if you can help it. I know I don't anymore. You know what's funny? I never considered how lucky I was for the time we had together. The envy of all the mothers who ever lived. I got to love you twice. Your mother, Henriette. And as I am sure that both Green and uh, Blue are in partial tears at the moment, mm -hmm. uh, I do want to kind of uh, jump on a couple of things here real fast, too. I I think I'd actually tweeted this one out, but uh, I realize now that there's a balance to life. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought that that was probably one of the most uh, strongest entries that you I, I personally have ever read. Uh, within this lore, just as like a, a lesson to life. This is <clears throat> this is not just a lesson or a uh, a plan back to Ada, but it can be carried to us as a whole, as either the Guardian uh, or just for us in our, our own day-to-day -day life. Uh, as the Guardian, we still need to go ahead and sit back and think about like how our life was or is or otherwise. We just had this same thing happen with Cade not long ago. Uh, we had it where Cade is now, of course, shot and de uh, shot dead uh, by Aldrin. And now we have the possibility of Aldrin uh, popping back with this new guardian, I, I suppose, because he may not even be called Aldrin at this point, uh, popping back. And we now have to think about how he was in his past. But now we have to also think about what he's going to do in the future or the here and the now. 
Uh, all of this ends up tying back into how we are as our character, uh, how we are as our progressive story is going to continue. Uh, this is basically going to be the lesson plan and the lesson book that we can look back on uh, as newer stories and tales are told. And it all comes back from a mother from a, the collapse ages that lost her daughter and saw no other instance but to try to hold on to her in some way, but to turn her into an exo, something that she absolutely hated. Uh, and by the end of it, at least now has the appreciation and value for what that ended up being. Uh, in the same, can can Marisov actually do the same thing with her brother now that he has turned? Or can we go ahead and forgive Aldrin for what he's done as well, for him being changed uh, into the ways that they are? And I'm using Aldrin as an example because there are so many others that we could look at in the same way. Uh, Saladin for Rasputin, Ikora for Osiris, all of these end up kind of playing out into how all of it uh, sort of is amped up within our world, and amped up within the universe that we have. Uh, but I do think that this final entry, as it kind of is, is, as they say within Destiny 1, all ends are beginnings. Uh, and this just absolutely, I think, uh, is the, the cornerstone for all of that. Because from here, we now have the the playouts of the Dark Ages. We then have the City Age. We, we have the Iron Lords. We have everything else. Uh, and a lot of it could just be from the, the orders or the ideas of... If, if we had papers like these that we could refer to for what kind of uh, problems we were causing early on, somebody like Radagast may have popped up quite a bit quicker uh, than what they may have beforehand to allow society to go back to wood and stone huts and, and, and mud and so on, uh, living out of caves and mines and such. These are not the things, of course, that humanity was, but they are what we grew to. Anyway, I could carry this line on for a while. Uh, the whole entire interpretation of this final entry, though, is is more hope than it is much else. Uh, and a forgiveness and how it all would have uh, placated out for, for somebody that went through the collapse and is fighting the collapse and the final ages of it. Uh, just all, all of these steps and measures that need to be made and, and balanced with past and future and present. So I don't know how else to end it. So that was like the I was like I'm like well done, yeah, well done, brother beard. Um, I mean I and I I kind of mean that you know as much as as snark as I can as I put in that I also mean that quite sincerely. I mean that's yes exactly what I was thinking when I read this. Um, you know the the hope again. It's it's that hope. It's it's what makes me love the lore of Destiny is that even in this darkest of events, like this, this is this is a individual dying. Like I mean, you have to keep this in mind. This is this is the 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 swan song of Henriette, and even in that, she is she is professing, "Be bold, do not refuse." You know, like, and I think that is that hope. That hope is that underlying thread which is what keeps bringing people back to destiny from uh from a story perspective is because that's not common out there um you know it's really easy to get lost in the in the darkness of either the past or the the bleakness of the future 
and you know kind of what you're saying beard about you know don't 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 be afraid of it and respect it but also live you know appreciate what you have now and you know because you don't i mean even we we have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow i think that's i think that is an excellent I think that's an excellent point to to close out. Uh, if green, if you're okay with that, yep. I mean, I I, I I'm just crying. So okay, you guys go on without me. Okay, I mean, I have one other piece that I can kind of latch on with that too. Okay, what's what's with that? Hope, hope blossomed. To resolve, mm-hmm. it was a currency. Hope bought tomorrow. Tomorrow bought the effort needed to survive today. Chat. Uh, Black Flag has the has a, a good summary too. Is you know more hope beyond hope. A mother walked through hell and understood that her daughter was safe, alive, and would be the greatest legacy she could leave this broken world. Um, I mean, and that's where I love the twist at this end. Is the twist is mm-hmm. that this isn't a hopeless story. The twist nope. is that in this story of hopelessness, hope was bloomed and hope was brought into existence. And I think that's the beauty of this particular story. Uh, and that's where it's different than the road. <laughs> um, Highland, yeah. Uh, and this is why I appreciate this story, you know, and it's yeah. because it, it, it just is, again, that, that sense of, you know, yeah, you go through hell. And, you know, as a parent, I resonate a lot with that. You would sacrifice everything for the child that you have. Or, you know, children that you have, if if you have more than one out there. Um, you know, that's something that as a parent, you just, that that's just, you do that. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that just resonates really strongly with me. Um, but, I, I oh yeah, go, go for another, it. I just another connection as well. What, what happened with uh, Destiny 2's Red Campaign, the, the Red War Campaign? Because Ikora makes a very... Uh, large connection in this manner as well, all saying, what would be the point of launching a war if only you would survive? Mm-hmm. Where only one still stands, you at least still have a legacy. Yep. Yep. So that being said, um, shout outs. Beard, what, what, <laughs> shout, what shout outs do you do you have for us this week? There is only one shout out that I can quite frankly give right now, and that is towards the entire Destiny community. In particular, a little bit of a side thing to raid secrets. The <laughs> amount of time and effort that was placed into attempting oh to unlock Niobe Labs before Bungie broke down and unlocked the sucker is amazing. Uh, the amount of stuff that uh, went into that entire puzzle and whatnot was just incredible. Uh, I am definitely, I'm, I, 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 I've seen a, a few different pieces where this community comes together. Uh, that was effectively, I still say, one of them, even though I know some are like, oh no, it put a, a divide between us. Are you kidding me? Anybody that's actually playing the game and is sitting there like looking over what is going on, these guys wanted to get it done, and they have done so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took about seventy hours, I think, all in total. Did they, did they finally get it? it out. Yeah, they it's, did. it's yeah, finished. It was, it was officially uh, panned out and whatnot. 
a, a great little ending to it all, though. Uh, and in addition, they ended up uh, getting that last little hint and tip that they needed uh, from Bungie, I believe, directly. Uh, but yeah, it was about 70, uh, 70 or so hours, and it is all completed. Oh. And done. Uh, yeah, what? I just saw Glad's tweet. That's awesome. Yeah. Glad, Glad's tweet actually makes me so happy. Community yep. equals worlds first. Yep. Exactly. And he, he focused so heavily on that primarily, and that is something that I don't think, quite frankly, some of the bigger guys do enough either. Uh, so for him to to all That's to say awesome. that, even though I know Glad was like a a major participant in all of it, that's exactly what it comes down to. Uh, and the community basically won out because we ended up seeing like the the uh, ways that this puzzle was kind of put together. Because the puzzle, in essence, as well, is a large portion to what uh, the Black Armory kind of stood for. You know, family and togetherness and so on. And that's basically what it came down to was a last trigger of having people that were together. Uh, as we've actually kind of learned recently from some new lore as well, like fire teams are very much a guardian's family. Uh, so for that to be the affected uh, last, last deal that needed to be done uh, was, was pretty awesome. Yeah. For as mo so. much salt as there was, there was a lot of brightness that came out of it too. And yeah. I know that a lot of people were really frustrated with the whole event. And I understand that. And I, I am sorry for those of you who were struggling, but the, the result, the accomplishment at the end after a great struggle is so much more sweet mm -hmm. because of the struggle. Yeah. We, we had that before. I think I remember back in the day with, uh, with the, the ARG for ALF sector, and even though so much of it was like t on a timer, the amount of stuff that was there trying to figure out like little bits and pieces that were going on, mm -hmm. uh, along with also trying to figure out like how to use the transference bug and everything and how to get that all together. It was, it was all just a, a great little community event that uh, kind of transpired into something, I think a little bigger than what it used to be. Uh, and I, I missed those. Like having this one, I think, was a, a great reminder of the stuff that we can do with either mm -hmm. ARGs or involving the community or doing anything else. It's just, it's it's great. No, so I will. I, mm -hmm. I will be a tiny bit critical mm -hmm. on top of it because um, for as you, much work, like. Are you talking about raid what was said about this? Well, sort of. Sort of, because there was there was a lot of just hate about the whole thing. But I I don't necessarily want to go into that. But as far as pull up Bungie, yes, there were things that they could have done a, a bit better. Like they could have had checkpoints, which would have helped a ton of the teams out. Because I I know um, I don't know if you watched the video of Datto basically having his mental snap at two a.m after having worked on it for so many hours, but um, having to wipe and restart the whole thing, because you had to start it from the beginning each time. Having yeah. um, checkpoints, I know, was like a major a talking point from Reddit and a lot of Twitter and everything like that. But the thing that I do want to say, as far as even, even though being critical of Bungie is not necessarily a bad thing, being respectful while you're being critical and giving constructive feedback is 
utmost importance. Just yelling at them and saying that it's stupid and jumping on the clickbait uh, hype train of just negativity, it's not good. Um, It may feel good at the time to be just mob mentality, but try to remember that providing constructive feedback to help make the game better is more important than being angry and lashing out at people. And if that's your first reaction, then that's where you need to take a step back, breathe, and then speak. Write it down first and not on Twitter. Write it down on paper and then put it up wherever you want to put it. I mean, unless you just want to send out a tweet that just says, ah, in which case that's fine. Because then there's no contents, context, yeah. and we don't care. But um, yeah, I mean, I've done that once or twice. Everybody can uh, can attest to that one. And then I get messages of like, "Oh my god, Beard, are you okay?" And I'm just like, "I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I'm better now." Mm-hmm. Anyway, I mean, I, I, on this panel, uh, uh, the for the most part, all right. No, hang on. All three of the people that are that are in this chat right now are pretty well too emotional for their own good. Hey, uh, hey, 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 hey. Okay, me especially. I'm too emotional for my own good. The fact I didn't get choked up tonight is astounding to me. Uh, I think I've, after reading this five times over, though, I think I've gotten a little bit used to what's coming. Uh, but yeah, just... Mm. I mm. I continue to see that, that kind of narrative be pushed, and for some it's been silenced because of how actions have been going down. Uh, I know that there is another major thing, of course, that had happened over the course of this week with uh, with Bungie breaking off from Activision. Uh, and I will say that this is a... This is good news, I think, that is mired by a lot of bad possibilities. Uh, I, I worry for those with jobs. I worry for those that uh, are panning out into this industry in a different manner. Uh, but I am hopeful for what might come later down the line for us as well. Uh, so if there's any other shout out, it would just be to say for now, good luck to Bungie. Uh, I'll be getting you in a video when I can to say what I hope you don't re-implement into De- uh, Destiny 3 if there ever is one. Uh, and that you kind of, uh, take everything you've learned and don't go back on some old habits. Uh, but that is where I think I will leave that. Blue, um, I just wanted to give a big shout out to the story writing team that was responsible for not just this book, but the Black Armory lore in general. Uh, yeah. You know, we've mentioned this a couple of times and um, I've, I've chatted with a couple couple of the the narrative team that was responsible for this. And I, I just, you know, this is this is why I love doing this podcast this this entry into the story um you know again i'm not a fan of the mechanics of the game uh but that's not anything to be like i'm not going to harp on that too much um i am a huge fan of how the game is progressing as far as the story i I like how that is going i like the fact that they continuously are you know building up hope and building up something that is bright and and not just you know delving into the dystopian uh tropes and all that 
but they're telling um, it from a realistic perspective. They are they are retaining reality, right? Yeah. No, yeah, and I and I appreciate that. I I really do like that particular form of storytelling. Um, so that being said, you know, I I really do. I just I that's my shout out is really just a huge thank you and uh, appreciation for the work that has been put into this this particular and not not just this particular but everything. But I mean this this particular one this being the topic of tonight's chat, you know, definitely definitely was a pleasure getting to read this and tease it apart and you know talk about it. So. Um, yes, that all being said, uh, we'll run through an outro and we'll probably stay around for a little bit of an after show. So with that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focused fire chat links to all our episode archives can also be found at www.focusfirechat.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any comments or questions for our team concerning the podcast and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. Also, be sure to check out all the amazing work being featured over on thelorenetwork.com. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright.